Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Listen as Pastor Michael Cox teaches on Love God. So we're going to jump in. It is Vision Month. So for the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the different aspects of our vision. Love God, love people, live truth. And today I want to talk about loving God. Okay? And I'm just going to read you. It's on our website. I'm going to start out just reading to you the statement that goes with (coughs) this element of our vision. Love God. At Redemption Life Church, we believe that a person's love for God is directly proportionate to their revelation of his love for them. Because of this belief, Redemption Life Church removes misconceptions about God that prevent us from connecting with his heart. We host worshiping encounters that reveal true identity as sons and daughters, and we provoke connection with God on a spirit, soul, and body level. And so that is our statement. I'm not going to be confined today to walk through that statement. I want to um, share with you guys. Will you throw me that towel? Like, I mean business today. I'm going to, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I do need this for an analogy, but um, it is a habit. I used to carry a towel, and so when I was walking in today, I just kept wiping my face. This is habit. Let me sit it down, or I'll keep doing that. But we're going to use that in just a few minutes. This is our vision. This is our, what we build upon, loving God. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God. That's the amplified version. No redemptive revelation of God. People perish. This is where we get this. Our love for him is directly proportionate to our revelation of his love for us. We love him because he first loved us. If we get this position as a church to go out and tell the world, you guys are a bunch of sinners and you need to love God and obey his word, that's not going to get us very far. We need to go out into the world and display the love of God that makes people fall in love with him, and then they'll want to chase after him and do everything they can to get close to him. And so we will love him based on how much we realize he loves us. I remember my kids, we were watching, we love to watch different baking competitions and cooking shows. Jahan's favorite is Beat Bobby Flay. And so we watched those. I think that's the one we were watching at this time. And there was this young lady on there. And she just, you could just tell that she was raging. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean when someone is raging? I mean, just angry and just trying to do everything they can um, to just rage against something, right? I don't get caught up in piercings or earrings or any of those things and those aren't indicative of someone raging but I'm just telling you this lady had it all going on and she was doing it out of a place of raging does that make sense and so she was raging and and doing all these things and just trying to act out and so one of my kids I think it was Abby she's like man dad 
she doesn't love God. And uh, <laughs> I can't share that story. That reminds me of another time they said somebody in our family didn't love God. Remember that? <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> we got a holiness family, I tell you. One of my kids spent the night with one of my family members. And at a certain time of the day, ladies disrobe certain undergarments, okay? And so my daughter came home and said, so-and-so doesn't love God because she wasn't wearing the undergarments you're supposed to wear all the time. And so we had to explain to her that that doesn't mean she doesn't love God. <laughs> Mom actually does that too at certain times of the day. So... Um, so anyways, we just, you know, they, they just see the world the way they see the world. And so, but they, she said, she doesn't love God, dad. And I said, she just doesn't know how much God loves her. Right. And so the world doesn't hate God. They just don't know how much God loves them. And if we can display the love of God to those around us, they can't help. I mean, he's impossible not to fall in love with if we can get past all the preconceived and misconceptions that we have about him. I want to go to Matthew chapter 21 today and just kind of go to a different place. Matthew chapter 21, 12-16. Upon entering Jerusalem, Jesus went directly into the temple area and drove away all the merchants who were buying and selling their goods. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the stands of those selling doves. And he said to them, My dwelling place will be known as a house of prayer, but you've made it into a hangout for thieves. Then the blind and the crippled came into the temple courts, and Jesus healed them all, and the children circled around him, shouting out blessings and praises to the son of David. But when the chief priests and religious scholars heard the children shouting and saw all the wonderful miracles of healing... They were furious. They said to Jesus, Don't you hear what these children are saying? This is not right. Jesus answered, Yes, I hear them. But have you never heard the words you have fashioned the lips of children and little ones to compose your praises? Yes. And so we see Jesus go into the temple. And how many people have heard this story? Goes in and we... We love it. Those of you that have anger problems, this is your favorite story in the Bible, right? Because you tell everybody that Jesus flipped tables over, right? And so every time you get road rage, you're like, it's okay, I'm still saved. Jesus flipped tables, you know. It's all right. It's okay, you know. You know, totally different. I hope I don't take that excuse from you today, you know by breaking this story down a little bit more. But, and so we look at this story, 
and he flips over the table. What's a cool thing to me? I've heard this story a million times. Okay, read it, preached it, done all the things with it. And so in studying this week, something jumped out to me that I really hadn't paid attention to before. You know, we do that a lot with the word, right? How many people have really paid attention to the fact that once Jesus flipped the tables, the blind and the crippled came in? Once Jesus flipped the table, the disenfranchised and the broken and came in. Why weren't they there? So it shows you the heart of God and why he flipped the tables over. It was keeping people out. Let's look at it in uh, John chapter 2. Same story in another passage, John chapter 2, verse 14. As he went into the temple courtyard... He noticed it, would, it was filled with merchants selling oxen, lambs, and doves for exorbitant prices, while others were overcharging as they exchanged currency behind their counters. So Jesus found some rope and made it into a whip. I love that. This is not just some reaction Jesus had to the tables. I love this methodically... Fashioning a whip. Reminds me, I, I was a counselor one time at youth camp. And uh, why are you laughing? <clears throat> you know this story already. And I think it was like 13-year-olds. And I had this child that was 13. It was like baby Goliath. This kid was twice as big as every other kid in the camp. And he was in my cabin. And so, I mean, this kid was massive. And he would just walk around, and, like, he wouldn't even mean to, but, like, he would just touch a kid, and they just fall down, you know, and start crying. <laughs> and, and I'm like, gosh, how am I going to deal with this kid? I'd push two beds together, you know, for him to sleep. And so we're, it's the last night of camp, and these guys decide to get into a towel-popping contest, Right? And so they're all like rolling up their towels, right? And popping each other with their towels. But I mean, we've got Goliath over here with a towel, right? I mean, his towels were oversized to start with, you know? His mom, I mean, he, he, if he used a regular towel, it would look like a hand towel. A regular towel for him would look like this, you know? He's like trying to dry off with that. Now his towel was huge. And so all these kids are having this war and so I see this kid over there, like, rolling his towel up. And I'm like, he's going to kill somebody. <laughs> <clears throat> and he comes out there, and he starts laughing, and he's like, oh, and he starts just popping everybody, right? And kids are just falling, like, choo, choo, choo. <laughs> and I'm like, I said, man, if you pop another kid, I'm going to pop you with a towel. And I'm like, Lord, don't let him pop another kid. And then part of me is like, Lord, please let him pop another kid. <laughs> so, I mean, I didn't, have to, I didn't have time to pray long because that kid looked right at me and popped somebody. <laughs> so, I've got a beach towel, right? And I've got a little cooler by my bed. I would always keep drinks in my cabin. And so I got a little cooler by my bed. So I took that towel. I mean, I did it like 
the perfect, like folded it over in a triangle, you know, rolled it very tight, you know, and this thing is like six foot long and I got the tail, just this little razor on the end. <laughs> and I dipped that uh, towel down in the water, right? And uh, I stand up, he's just sitting there laughing at me. You come at me with sticks and stones, you know? I'm like, you uncircumcised Philistine, and you're gonna fall today. And I come up with this towel, and he just stands in the middle of the room. And I'm like, take it like a man. He said, I am. He stands there. So I walk up to him. You know, and it's like, I hope this hurts him real bad, and I hope it doesn't hurt him real bad. And so I just did it, and it was just perfect, you know. The whole thing's just flying through the air, and at the last second, it just whoosh. Dude, a massive chunk comes out of this boy's leg. I kid you not. I don't know, it's statue limitations on stuff like this. Seven years? I'm good. I'm not going to jail. It's good to have lawyers and legal people here. So, uh, Chuck comes out of his leg, and he goes, ah, <laughs> just laughs at me. And I'm like, now get in your bed. God, please don't let him sue me. Literally, he goes and he gets in bed. Everybody goes to sleep. It's quiet. <laughs> and so I like, I stay up all night, you know. Lord, please don't let this come back. Don't let this, this is going to hurt me bad. I'm, I'm youth pastoring somewhere at that point. I don't know where, but I'm going to lose my job. Everything is going down. And so his mom comes in the next morning. At this point, I don't even know why I'm telling you this story. Like, was it, it has something to do with the sermon? Okay. Uh, yeah, so, so his mom comes in the next morning to pick up the kids, right? And she comes in the front door. He jumps up out of bed. Mom, look at my leg. Very first thing. She's like, what in the world happened? He's like, isn't it cool the counselor popped me with a towel? <laughs> So I tried to just keep a straight face. I said, I'm so sorry. I told him not to pop any other boys, you know, and he did. And I'm like, I'm just going with the like solid approach, you know, like, sorry, that's what he gets. And, <laughs> and hoping she goes with it. And she's like, I guess you learned your lesson, didn't you? <laughs> Go get in the car before I tell him to pop you again. <laughs> I was like, yeah, thank you, God, for a cool mom. So, so, the reason I tell you that story, because it was hilarious for one thing, but I can just see Jesus like me with that boy. I'm sitting over there just methodically rolling up that towel. And the whole time, I know he acted tough, but he had to be a little worried, you know? 
Can you just imagine those money changers and all those people and Jesus is just over there like, hey guys, how's it going? Don't mind me, I'm making a whip. <laughs> We're going to have fun in a few minutes. So he puts together a whip. He found some rope made with Then he drove out every one of them and their animals from the courtyard of the temple. And he kicked over their tables filled with money, scattering it everywhere. And he shouted at the merchants, get these things out of here. Don't you dare make my father's house into a center of merchandise. That's when his disciples remembered the scripture, I'm consumed with fiery passion to keep your house pure. But the Jewish religious leaders challenged Jesus, what authorization do you have to do this sort of thing? If God gave you this kind of authority, what supernatural sign will you show us to prove it? Jesus answered, after you've destroyed this temple, I will raise it up again in three days. Then the Jewish leaders sneered, this temple took 46 years to build. And you mean to tell us you will raise it up in three days? But they didn't understand that Jesus was speaking of the temple of his body. But the disciples remembered his prophecy after Jesus rose from the dead and believed both the scripture and what Jesus had said. So we see Jesus flipping these tables over. What's amazing to me is how much we have, we can actually just take scripture and make it mean the exact opposite of what it was intended to mean. So here we are. We take this scripture about Jesus flipping over the tables and we use it to justify all kinds of yokes that we put on people to come into his presence. We say this house is going to be a house of prayer. It's got to be holy. So then we put a lot of rules on what it takes to come into his holy house. Right? And so the whole reason he flipped the tables and said this is going to be holy is holy is complete and lacking nothing. There are no rules and no yoke to keep you out of his presence. And so we actually take the very stories and use them to justify keeping people out putting yokes on people. He flipped the tables over because people would come to make a sacrifice. And they would be told, your sacrifice is not good enough. You need to buy one of our doves. You need to partake of this dove. It's better. You need to dress like we dress, it's better. You need to worship when we worship, it's better. You need to fabricate your sanctuary like we do our sanctuary, it's better. You need to position your altar here, it's better. You need to wear this when you preach, it's better. You need to hold your Bible, you need to not use a computer, you need to not wear Nike tennis shoes, you can't wear jeans, you can't do all these things because his holy house doesn't permit it. And those very things are exactly what caused him to flip the tables over. And so here, 
we are very serious about just going ahead and flipping some tables over. We want people to be able to come here. You know, we did it for years, man. I, I hear people all the time. It, it burns me up. You want to know a pet peeve of mine? People will say, because the, we don't have the Holy Spirit anymore in our services, because we've watered down the gospel, we now have to have coffee and donuts. Coffee and donuts have nothing to do, there is no implication of the power of the Holy Spirit based on how many donuts and coffees that you have in your service. It has nothing, nothing to do with it. To insinuate that is an insult to the Holy Spirit. To tell the Holy Spirit that he can't move in a place where somebody is drinking a cup of coffee as much as he can in a place where somebody isn't is insane. If you tell him he can't move as much if you're in a chair and not a pew, that's insane. If you tell him he can't move as much when we've got different colored checkered carpet and I got on Nikes as if I was wearing a three-piece suit and everybody was doing all the liturgical, liturgical, th whatever, I can't say the word. You guys know. What I'm saying is an insult to the Holy Spirit. Do people do coffee for a gimmick? I'm sure. Do people do donuts for a gimmick? I'm sure. Jesus said, if they're doing it in my name, leave them alone. If they're bringing people to me... Leave them alone. Yeah. A house divided against itself can't stand. So leave them alone. But not only do I think that it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is diminished, I actually think that we can go throughout Scripture and we can see that it was God's intention to intentionally do away. His intention was to intentionally do away with all the things that stole his glory. And so if we think the Holy Spirit is more powerful based on the way the preacher dresses, then that means he's limited based on my clothes. If we put yokes on people coming into this building and we say, well, you've got to check this box, this box, this box, this box, and this box before you can come in here, then you don't serve a very powerful God that can meet people where they are. You know, we, 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 we've talked about becoming set apart. We, we talked about he's coming back. And so the church just all ran into their churches and hid out and hopes he hurries. That wasn't the intention. We've got this separatist, uh, exclusive, run for the hills and hide till he comes mentality. And he instructed us to go out. Go out, go out, go out into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Go out and be among them. He was the exact representation of the Father and he went out. He ate with sinners. He went into their homes. He confronted a woman who was married five times and the man she was with was not her husband. He sat with her at a well. In John chapter 8, he 
he intervenes with the woman that's caught in the act of adultery and they want to stone her to death. At the end of the story, he says, go and sin no more. He didn't preach to her about the sin. He didn't tell her all the wrong things. He didn't have to. All he did was showed her his glory. And she left, and it changed her life. See, I think we've got a major on the minors because we don't have the majors. So we want to double down on the rules. We want to double down on the yoke. We want to double down on telling everybody what we think about everything because we don't truly display his glory. If we displayed his glory, we wouldn't have to say a word. People would see it. And they would know it. So he flipped the tables over. Jesus flipped the tables over. People could not get in. You see the blind and the lame coming in. Could you imagine if you're blind or lame and you're watching everybody upgrade their dove? And you don't have a dove to start with? How outcast are you? Man, I don't even have the bad dove. Never mind the good dove. I got to have a bad dove and I got to put dub. I got <laughs> bad dub. That's that's a dance move. Dub. I got a bad dub step. My gift is not my gift isn't good. These guys look great when they do their dub and I don't have a good dub. So I don't, even have a, I don't even have a bad dove to trade in for a good dove. So I'm way outcast. I'm way out in left field. You know what I see today? I don't know how much of this I'm going to get through, but we have these tables. And, oh, I got to go through some of this real quick. Colossians 2 and 8. Beware that no one distracts you or intimidates you in their attempt to lead you away from Christ's fullness. By pretending to be full of wisdom, they're filled with endless arguments of human logic. For they operate with humanistic and clouded judgments based on the mindset of this world system and not the anointed truths of the anointed one. 2 Corinthians 10, 3. The world is unprincipled. It's dog-eat-dog dog out there. The world doesn't fight fair, but we don't live or fight our battles that way. Never have and never will. The tools of our trade aren't for marketing or manipulation, but they are for demolishing that entire massively corrupt culture. We use our powerful God tools for smashing warped philosophies, tearing down barriers erected against the truth of God, fitting every loose thought and emotion and impulse into the structure of life shaped by Christ. Our tools are ready at hand for clearing the ground of every obstruction and building lives of obedience into maturity. So here's the thing. 
We don't have a high priest who hasn't touched, been touched by the feeling of our infirmity, but we have a high priest who has been tempted in every way, yet he pushed past temptation and was without sin, and he's made a way for us to boldly approach the throne of grace, right? But yet we keep checking in like they were checking in at the temple. People were coming to the temple to encounter the presence of God, and they would check in. Where'd those papers go? I thought I had papers up here. They blew off, huh? What happened to them? Did I move them? Oh. Who did? Oh. They worked out good for me. So we keep checking in, right? John 10.10 says, Then the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you have life and have it abundantly. What did he say you've turned my temple into? A den of thieves. People who are thieves, they steal, kill, they operate. Like James talks about, we make distinctions among ourselves, and we have evil motives, and we try to check people off to see if they're able to come in or not. And we hold them out. And so many of us have come in. You know that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so he's destroyed the temple, built it back in three days. We're in fellowship with him. We are the temple. We can have communion, fellowship with him, be one with him. And so it's this weird picture of inside of us, we have... Uh, a spirit, a religious spirit that is a money changer that tells us we can't go in. And so we listen to guilt, we listen to shame, we listen to the lies of our adversary who is a thief and it's working inside of us. And so we're going back and forth. We hear truth and we hear promise and we, we get hope and we see a redemption, a revelation of who God is through Jesus. And we want to go into his presence, but we keep running into the table and we still let that spirit that's working in us tell us that we can't enter because we're not good enough. We've got this wrestling amongst ourselves. That's why we keep everybody else out. Because if we can't even let ourselves in, I can't let anybody else in. And so that spirit that lies to us and corrupts us and makes us think we're unworthy and makes us think our dove is not enough and our gift is not enough and our life is not enough, it constantly keeps us out of his presence. It constantly keeps us out of fellowship and communion and freedom in him. And that spirit just taunts us and taunts us and taunts us. And it's time for us to build a whip. It's time for us. And that's what we want to do as a body. What does this say? Our weapons are at hand. And they're divinely powerful for tearing down strongholds. Our song, our worship, our declaration, we worship for an hour here. Because we're baking a whip. 
We want to tear down. We want to, we want to flip tables over. We're trying, to, we're trying to dislodge principalities and powers. We're trying to tear down strongholds that have been established and are telling everybody, you're not good enough. You can't go in. So we want to declare stuff. Oh, that's being reversed. Shame, you can go to hell. Fear, you can go to hell. You can get out of my way. I'm going into his presence. And so we want to make a whip out of our worship. And so we're making a whip and we're driving it out. And so we come here and we don't forsake the coming together. And we're joining together with one another. On Wednesday nights, we've been just practicing prophecy. Because we need to prophesy over one another. Jahan saying today, we need to prophesy the promise when it doesn't look like it's working. And we need to come together as the body. And we need to help each other experience God. We need to help each each other fall in love with God. We need to help each other. We need to look at each other and say, man, I see a stronghold on him. I see something that's raised up that's trying to keep him against the knowledge of Christ. I'm going to make a little whip over here. I'm fixing to release a word over him. I'm fixing to tell her who she is in Christ. Lord, give me a word. Let me tell them who they really are. Would you show me? Would you give me a glimpse? I don't care how foolish it sounds. I don't care how crazy it sounds. I'm tired of guarding my pride. I'm tired of constantly being worried about what people think. God, would you use me like a whip to destroy the money changers in my friends' and my family's lives? Just make a whip out of it and drive them out. You got to deal with this money changer in your own life. You got to deal with that voice. You got to deal with those lies. You just keep waiting and you just keep waiting and you just keep waiting on God to do it and God to do it and God to do it. Listen, he's already tore the veil. He already did away with the whole system. If you've got a money changer in your life, it's a money changer of your own making. If you're wearing a veil, it's a veil of your own construction. Because he rent the veil. When he said it's finished, it ripped from top to bottom, completely and wholly. That veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies from the mercy seat, it rent completely. And we can now go boldly into the throne of grace. Yes. I don't have time to go into all of my notes, but 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 18, even the ministry... We'll read this one. Even the ministry that was characterized by chiseled letters on stone tablets came with a dazzling measure of glory, though it produced death. Do you understand that? This is talking about the law that came on the Ten Commandments still came with a dazzling measure of glory. Remember the glory that was on Moses' face? He had to wear a veil over his face. The glory was so bright. Though it produced death. The law produced death. It still carried a dazzling measure of glory. The Israelites couldn't bear to gaze on the glowing face of Moses because the radiant splendor shining from his countenance, a glory destined to fade away. 
Yet how much more radiant is the new and glorious ministry of the Spirit that shines from us? For if the former ministry of condemnation was ushered in with a measure of glory, how much more does the ministry that imparts righteousness far excel in glory? What was once glorious no longer holds any glory because of the increasing greater glory that has replaced it. Okay, a picture here is Solomon's temple. It says that in relation to the new temple, Solomon's temple can't even be compared. And so the new glory is so much greater than the former glory that it can't even be compared. There's no way to compare it. It's unequivocal. Okay? Where was I? Um, verse 11. The fading ministry came with a portion of glory, but now we embrace the unfading ministry of a permanent impartation of glory. So then, with this amazing hope living in us, we step out in freedom and boldness to speak the truth. We're not like Moses, who used a veil to hide the glory to keep the Israelites from staring at him as it faded away. Their minds were closed and hardened, for even to this day, that same veil comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. So even though the veil has been rent, the veil still comes over the minds of people who build their faith on the former covenant. When we put the yoke of the law on people, we help them put in place their own veil. We have personalized veils now. If, there, if there's a veil between you and him, it's not his, it's yours. Because he already destroyed his. Remember that passage, when we open our door to him, we find out that he's already flung his door open to us. His veil's already been rent. If there's a veil between you and him that keeps you from seeing him rightly, it's yours, not his. He's done everything to clear the way, to reveal himself to you. And it's your veil that's in between you and him. Let's see. <clears throat> Comes over their minds when they hear the words of the former covenant. The veil has not yet been lifted for them, for it is only eliminated when one is joined to the Messiah. So until now, whenever the Old Testament is being read, the same blinding comes over their hearts. But the moment one turns to the Lord with an open heart, the veil is lifted and they see. Now, the Lord I'm referring to is the Holy Spirit, and wherever he is Lord, there is freedom. Verse 18, we can all draw close to him with the veil removed from our faces, and with no veil we all become like mirrors who brightly reflect the glory of the Lord Jesus. We are being transfigured into his very image, and we move from one brighter level of glory to another, from glory to glory. And this glorious transfiguration comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Hebrews 4, 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help 
in the time of need. Look at it in the Passion. So then, we must cling in faith to all that we know to be true. For we have a magnificent king priest, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who rose into the heavenly realm for us and now sympathizes with us in our frailty. He understands humanity, for as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way just as we are and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. Hebrews 1, if you're taking notes, I'm not going to read it, but it says the sun in verse 3 is the dazzling radiance of God's splendor, the exact expression of God's true nature, His mirror image. Look at Hebrews 6. Verse, I'm going to skip down to verse 19. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. Listen to this. Listen to where your anchor is. Not only should we not have this whole separation, we should never be out here to start with. We're not anchored out here and then we're just somewhere out on the outskirts trying to get in. We're supposed to be, our anchor of hope is fastened to the mercy seat, which sits in the heavenly realm beyond the sacred threshold, behind the veil that's not even there anymore. And where Jesus, our forerunner, has gone before us. And so we're anchored in his presence, never again to be separated by the money changer, never again to be separated by a veil. Hold fast to your anchor in his presence and don't ever be removed and don't ever be separated by the liar, by the accuser. Man, we've got so many things. It's countless. I got so many things that I have to come up to, and I willingly choose, I willingly choose to run myself through a background check. I willingly choose to run myself through some checks and balances to see if I can enter or not. Anybody else do that? It's just me. The most miserable people in the world are people who claim Christ yet don't live in His presence. And they become an obstacle for everyone else to encounter Him. Because if I can't go, you can't go. Right? Anybody that goes past the table, I mean, we do that. I see such hatred. It makes me sick. Watch people who are free. Who are free. Who don't have to go through all the crap, for lack of a better word, that I've learned. Paul said he had to unlearn a bunch of stuff. And so, I, you know, we see people come in, 
People get radically saved. People get delivered from things. People come in and they're on fire and they're brand new. And we're sitting here groveling and like, I know I see that one, but can I trade you that? Let's see, I got a cell phone. Will you take my cell phone, Lord? Will you, I'll, I'll give you three days of fasting if you'll just take that one thing away, you know? And we're up here and we're graveling and here comes this joker. That was high last week. That was living the most crazy lifestyle last week. And they just walk right by us. And it makes us so angry. And the church just rages against people who are free. I don't understand. People come to a place of believing God for healing and the church loses their mind. People get so upset. I dare them think God can heal everybody. We just make up stuff. Church that moves radically in healing and, and they're seeing just radical healing take place and I watch people say, I just can't get on board with that because um, they tell everybody if they're not healed, it's their fault. That's just a lie because I've specifically been to this church and I've heard people at the church say it's absurd to say someone's not healed because they didn't have enough faith. It's our faith. We're the ones asking God to heal. We're the one praying and believing. It's not their faith. I never condemn them. I've heard this come from very teaching, from pulpit, from a place that I see people just slander. And accuse. We hate it. We get so upset. We don't like anybody to know something we don't know, but it really comes down to we're living at some diminished capacity in the presence of God by a money changer of our own making. It's totally us. It's totally our problem. It's nobody else's problem. It's not their problem. You don't believe God for what they believe God for. It's not somebody's problem that believes in prophecy that you don't believe in prophecy today. It's not their problem. That's your problem. Don't get mad at them when the Lord gives them a word and they tell it to somebody and God sets them free because they prophesied over their situation and then we get so mad and we try to discredit them. We try to find a reason or a way. And here we are, the people who are just supposed to be displaying the love of God to the world around us. And we're fighting over who knows who's right. Because we got money changers. We're trying to prove to ourselves so we can get in. We're literally having this argument all the time with ourselves. We think it's with somebody else. We think it's with another church. We think it's with so-and-so. We think it's with somebody. We think it's, they make me feel this way. They don't make you feel any way. The money changer makes you feel some way. The thief that came to steal, kill, and destroy makes you feel that way. You just let him talk too much. You've set him up a table. You've put him in that place, and through some type of religious idea, you've come into agreement with it. We've completely, look at this. If God had any desire whatsoever of setting up any process 
of money changing or accountability, he would have done it. If he wanted us to have church a certain way, he would have said the veil ripped from the top to two feet from the bottom. And that two feet at the bottom is for this part. I still want you all to come to God this one little way. I want you to do it through this means still. Then we would all have some great theology. We could say that bottom two feet means this in church. That bottom two feet means this in church. That bottom two But he had no regard whatsoever from any system that had been established. He did away with every single bit of it. Rent it from the top to the bottom. The veil has been destroyed. And so if you have any veil, it's yours. It's not fading. This is, this is an unfading glory. It's not fading. It's just you. The God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they can't see the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he's put veils up on people. The world has veils up. Everybody you come in contact that doesn't know him, they've got a veil and they got a money changer. There's all these obstacles between them and God. And the last thing you need, they need you to do is climb up on top of that table and make it your soapbox and fortify the wall. Won't you be part of the whip instead of part of the problem? I want our church to be part of the whip. I want our church to be a weapon in the hand of God that flips tables and destroys strongholds and tears down barriers so that people can come into his presence and know the love of a Savior. I want to be part of that movement. I don't want to be caught up constantly trying to pick apart every church and pick apart everybody and, and decide who all's wrong and who all's right. I want them, if they call on Christ and if they exalt his name, I want to leave them alone. And I want to worry about our assignment. You guys stand up with me today. I wanted to flip this table real excited-like. But I just never, never felt that unction, you know? <laughs> it's totally yours, though, seriously. Let me go a step further. I know I take shots at the church. I love the church. We are the church. I never talk about the church. Some people just rail against the church. I'm never railing against the church because I don't like the church. I love the church. I just want us to be better. I believe in the church. I mean, it's the most beautiful expression of the kingdom that there ever is. Jesus loved the church, and he gave himself up for the church. We're a part of that beautiful body, and I love the church. And let me tell you something. The church, no matter what they did, they didn't put this table here. They might have said all the right things, the wrong things, the perfect storm. They may have given you some ammunition to believe wrong things. 
But you chose to put this table here. You chose to let this table be set up here. You chose to let this money changer be here. Nobody else forced this on you. This is your choice. And as much as it was your choice to let it be here, it can be your choice. It'll only be your choice to take it down. Quit checking in. Quit checking in. Quit stopping every time at the money changer table. Quit evaluating yourself. Quit being introspective. Quit constantly trying to weigh the pros and the cons of your life. Quit trying to see if you measure up. Accept the free gift of Jesus Christ. Let His blood cover you. Walk in His righteousness and be anchored to the inside. Be anchored to the mercy seat. Be anchored to the place and never let anything pull you out again. Don't let him pull you out and let him fabricate a table in between you and that presence. You stay anchored in there. You stay anchored in there. Prayer team, will you come? Our love for God is directly proportionate to our revelation of His love for us. Flip the table over today. Fire the money changer today. Fashion a whip with your worship today. You know, worship is worth shaping. You shape your worth in His presence. As you declare who He is, it's declaring who you are. We're literally coming before Him in His presence and we're shaping our worth. We're informing ourselves of who we are standing before Him. Thank you for your heart for us. I, for one, am so thankful that you chose to do it this way. The law did not have the power to set us free. It's insane. You know, when you stop at the table, I didn't read it today, but you literally, I don't remember the place it was either. I already closed it and opened it again. But when you, when you set up the table, you reconstruct, reconstruct the legalist system. You reconstruct it, which makes the cross of no effect. I mean, he's the ultimate money changer. He became poor so that we become rich. He he gave what we could never make so that we could have what he had. 
to sort of stop again at the money changer after you've already received him makes what he did of no effect. You're actually trying to make Jesus check in. That's how absurd it is. Once he's covered you and you still keep believing lies, you're literally saying he's not enough. His cross isn't enough. You're trying to check Jesus in to see if he can get into the temple. Because that's who you are. It's no longer the life that you live, but it's his life that lives in you. It's his righteousness in you. And you go boldly into the throne. You don't check in at the table. You don't check in on a list. You don't do any of those things. God, we thank you for freedom. We thank you for freedom. We thank you that because you freely gave, we never have to worry about having enough. We never have to check in with the thief to see if we have enough. Guys, you never want to check in with a thief to see if you have enough. We never have to check in with the thief to see if we have enough. Because you gave us everything. You lavished the riches of the kingdom on us. And we have everything we need to live in fullness in wholeness and completeness in your presence. We thank you. We love you because you first loved us. We love you for making a way for us. We love you for, prepare, for preparing a place, preparing a way for us to come into your presence. We thank you. We thank you. As we dismiss today, if anybody wants prayer, you come up to the prayer team and receive prayer. Don't forget to sign up if you want to. New Covenant, partners, baptism, all that stuff is out in the foyer. Can we just fashion a whip as we leave today? Can we just worship just as we go? Let's go in an attitude of worship. Lord, we thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that I'm enough. Thank you that I'm enough because you're enough. Thank you that I don't have to check in. Thank you that I don't have to go through a money changer. Thank you that I don't have to buy a better dove. Thank you that I no longer have to make sure I've got a good enough ox or a good enough sheep or a good enough sacrifice. You came in once and for all with your blood. There's no longer a need for me to try to bring a more excellent sacrifice. You brought enough. You brought enough for every man, every woman, every child from now throughout eternity. You paid the price. The debt has been paid. The sacrifice has been made. And it was enough for us to come boldly to your throne. Every time and any time, we thank you for freedom. We thank you for freedom. Thank you for flipping the tables. Thank you for fashioning a whip. Thank you for your absolute persistence, your absolute commitment, your absolute faithfulness to destroy every yoke 
to destroy every hindrance and everything that would try to restrict and hold back. Thank you for destroying every stronghold. Thank you for giving us power. Thank you for giving us authority. Thank you for giving us your word on our lips. Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Redemption Life Church. Be sure to stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Redemption Life.